Welcome to the Obesity Medicine Podcast with your host, Dr. Matea Rentia, board certified in internal medicine and obesity medicine. Here, we talk about a path to metabolic health, and we have real conversations about chronic weight management and living a full life. Just a reminder, I am a physician, but I'm not your physician. So everything that's on this podcast is for informational purposes, but please go talk to your doctor about what's right for you. There is no medical advice being given on this podcast. Welcome to the Obesity Guide with Matea Rentia, MD. I am today's guest host, Amanda Sabaker. <laughs> and I'm here with my good friend, Dr. Matea Rentia. Today we're flipping the script. We were just joking about this before, Matea, weren't we? About this is the podcast that wasn't. <laughs> exactly. If you're feeling confused, let me give you a little bit of context about what's happening right now. I have known Matea for several years. I knew her when she was working in a clinic, clinical setting as a primary care physician, seeing all sorts of patients, as one does as a primary care physician, and her slowly begin to build her business. I'm also her business coach and working with her on creating what is now the Rentia Metabolic Clinic. And we were talking the other day and I realized that I don't think her audience knows and fully understands what's going on behind the scenes. So I asked her if I could interview her. Oh, and she's smiling. <laughs> I love this because it's, it's, I don't see myself in the same way that, that me and you either as a friendship or on a coaching level, you see things very differently. And so I think this is going to be an interesting conversation, what types of questions you're going to ask me. And I don't even know all of what you're going to ask me. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm tricky like that. <laughs> all right. So I'm Amanda Sabaker. I'm a nonprofit executive and a life and business coach for women who want to do big things, including in this case, women who want to revolutionize obesity medical care. And that's why we're here today is to talk about what you are creating in this world. You ready? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I think we should start at the beginning, which is just outlining for folks your journey to becoming a physician. Why did you decide to get into medicine? You know what's interesting, Amanda? There was never any other thought in my mind of what I would do. But to give context to this, I grew up in a two-physician family household. So I heard medical things my whole life, aspects of running a clinic, aspects of patient care. And so I could never imagine doing anything else. I was that kid that really loved science. And so one thing after another, I go to medical school. I actually think initially I want to be an endocrinologist. That was the route. That's why I picked a university setting for my training, things like that. And what I realized is, no, I actually like the primary care setting. I like the continuity. I can actually manage a lot of the blood sugar problems, all of those kind of things. And what ends up happening is I get into primary care and I love the patients. I love doing all of that. But again and again, what I see is we never actually have time to get to what the metabolic problems are. It's like again and again, I'm sitting in the room with someone. We have this super small amount of time and we're maybe doing one medication adjustment. We have this quick touch point, And then my schedule is so full that it's, well, I can only see you again in maybe four or six months. There's literally not a slot to see them because everybody has a follow-up appointment already scheduled because they can't get in to see me. <laughs> so this scenario ended up emerging where I looked at really like, what do I love doing here? And I love working with people. I love the continuity, but we were never getting down to the root, like insulin resistance and some of the things that could actually make the biggest impact for all of their health. 
that, I mean, I can only imagine how frustrating that was. I mean, how did you experience, like when you went home at the end of the day, were you like, I'm amazing, I'm saving people's lives? This is one of the reasons I sought out coaching because yes, it was also for a weight loss to help me with that, but it was also to realize that yes, there are flaws in our healthcare system, but I was still trying to work within that. I was trying to get more efficient what I was doing. I was really trying to look at what other resources can I create for patients? Are there handouts? Can I use what we call async follow-up, meaning can they email me? And so I was trying to figure out how I could extend myself in a way that could, where they could get great results as well. And I kept coming against some of the same blocks, which is there were certain ways that the system was built where they never would be successful long-term, no matter what I was doing. And that was really frustrating to me. And I think that's what really started to mount with time. So what was the moment then that you decided to start your own clinic? Can you describe? I'm just fascinated because listen, I know a lot of physicians, you know, a lot of physicians. It's in my experience, it's really unusual for a physician to be like, I'm going to go and make my own clinic (laughs) and I'm going to do one in such a way that it's not embedded with the insurance infrastructure, right? It's set aside. That's it's so unique. And I just think people would really benefit to understand how how you landed with that decision. It is not only is it unique, although I'll say my parents do this, right? And they've done it for a long time. But nowadays there are very few independent physicians that are not within either taking insurance or within a healthcare system. So embedded in some way. The reason that I came to this is that I was sitting there one day. I remember the exact moment in front of me. I had a female patient of mine. She was crying about not being able to lose weight. She was doing all the things and she had tears streaming down her eyes. And I was just sitting there and I cannot help her in these 15 minutes every six months. I just had that moment where I realized it doesn't matter how many podcasts I recommend, how many programs I refer her to. If I tell her to go see the dietitian, it is so fragmented. I just had this moment of saying, I will not ever be able to have impact on even one person when I'm inside of doing things in this way. And you can't do it in this system in a way that can work long term. That was the moment when then I was able to, and it took a long time. I mean, you followed me over this time. It took a long time for me to sit down and figure out what could this even look like? Because frankly, me and you know this, the way in which I'm doing things I don't even know other people that are doing it in this way. Everyone has sort of a different version of it, but no one's doing it in the way I'm doing it. So I had to entirely, that's a lot of faith actually to step out and be like, I'm going to just have faith that people that want this help in a different way, that they're going to come to that. That was a, a really big moment for me. And honestly, it took like a year or two for me to build up enough confidence for that. I, I knew my medical knowledge. I know I can help people, but but will it work in a different way was really the question. It's so powerful because when I just remember we'd have these conversations and you would just keep saying, there's like structurally nothing I can do anymore. Like you've done all the change. You did all the mindset work. Where and you I have- tried, by the way, like I, I want people to hear this. So because a lot of people will not be able to work with me. And so you're going to be in systems where it's broken and realize that that doctor is trying to do the best they can. I'm always still supporting everybody, every doctor, every other extended healthcare provider. They are really trying, but there's only so much you can do if resources are limited or the next appointment is six months out. I mean, that's a hurdle, right? How do you overcome that? It, it's it's amazing how you, yeah, it's like you saw the st- the, the infrastructure set up in such a way that it was making everything this patchwork, right? Piecemeal approach. And you knew it wasn't going to work. 
and you sat with, and I just love how, you know, and I watched you do this. You did the work where you were like, let me think about it from an efficiency standpoint. Let me think about it from a mindset standpoint. Let me think about it from a engagement and camaraderie and colleague, you know, standpoint. Can we optimize this? Can we optimize that? And it was just amazing to watch you go through the process and have the realization of this just isn't working. Like it's really not, it's no longer about optimization anymore. It's just not working. And that is so mind blowing that you and your brain were willing to accept that. Yeah. We had this talk. I don't know if you remember this, but it was like, I had no more victim villain. I don't think that these systems that if we're in there and we as a healthcare provider think that it's not working for us and for the patient, I don't, I didn't view myself as being victim to it anymore. It was just this way is not the way I'm going to do it long-term. I will not. It it does not work for me or the patient long-term and I'm not going to do it. It's, yeah, it's amazing. And I think what's also very interesting, again, because I know many physicians, um, for those who don't know, I used to I used to be a biotech sales rep at one point. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in physicians' offices <laughs> as a patient. So yeah, I have some level of, I mean, we all do, right? But for some reason, I have a lot of doctor friends. And what's what's unique about you, Matea, is that not only are you willing to be like, take a step back and be like, this doesn't work for me and stay in integrity. Be like, it's no longer an integrity to continue providing care in this manner. But you're also willing, and this is what really blows my mind, you're also willing to go out on social media and talk about what you're learning, what you've experienced, and helping people on that platform. Like you are not bound by the rules of what's, I don't know, considered quote unquote appropriate. I mean, I find that some physicians really hold back because, well, I don't know, they probably have a lot of thoughts about social media. And you're like, this is the best path forward to the patient. But this is, I want to, like, I'm glad that you actually bring this up because it took me a long time to get on social. And again, background, if people are new to me, I never participated in social until a few years ago. Like I didn't put anything out on any platform in any capacity. And what ends up happening is, so I think there's two things going on here. Number one, physicians have imposter syndrome. So we sit there and we think, well, it's not going to be said perfectly. Someone's going to think the detail's wrong. And I've been called out all the time. And I think majority of what I'm offering is very evidence-based and makes good sound sense, but someone will find some little detail and try to refute it with some study, you know, so that ends up happening. But here's the other thing that I don't think people realize. A lot of physicians, they have clauses in their contracts. This is something that was the case for me before, where they can scrutinize anything you put out. They can tell you, I want you to take that blog post down. I don't want you to say this. I don't want you to say that. So I could not share the real truth when I was in some of these organizations because you don't know what you can and can't share. So I am so much more free nowadays and 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 I even have to kind of, I'm telling you, I'm still unlearning that. Like, no, there's no like big brother that's looking over and you can't say that. And I so I don't think people understand what constraints are out there. Why are all doctors not out there on a channel? There's a lot that goes into it. Also, just sometimes the comments are outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> but I, in the name of educating, many more people are helped than me having to deal with that type of stuff. Yeah. I mean, like, how do you, how do you manage your mind on that stuff? Cause you have, this is your expertise. You're putting stuff out there and you have like rando people commenting with sometimes fairly aggressive comments that sound really authoritative and condescending (laughs) occasionally. And, you know, you don't get a chance to give the full explanation on like a a TikTok, right? So how do you emotionally handle that? 
Yeah. I've gotten to a place where I really realize that a lot of those comments are really misinformed. They're continuing the stigma and bias that a lot of my patients and myself have experienced. A lot of I take honestly as an opportunity to highlight why I'm even doing what I'm doing. What's interesting, they think they're saying the comment in a disparaging way. And I'm like, no, this is not the community for you because number one, I'll give you an example. This was actually just this morning. Someone made a comment on a video well, these all these comments sound crazy with the side effects. Don't even take it. These meds are scary. And I'm sitting there thinking, this person has not had to go through the experience of chronic obesity. They've not had to deal with every single moment of their life, food thoughts, and not being able to get around in society, not being able to go on a train ride with, you know, in the amusement park with their toddler because they don't fit. I've had a lot of these experiences. I'm like, I'm like, don't break down. But it's like when you have had these experiences, whoo. And when your patients have had them, you just get to this point where you're not willing to be quiet anymore. And I think that's the place that I've taken is it doesn't matter what's said anymore. I'm always going to advocate for patients. And that has been much more powerful for me to keep coming from a place of advocacy versus feeling sort of beaten down by these comments. One of the things I do in my clinic, I want to empower my patients because we've been so repressed for so long thinking everything's your fault and you just need to have more willpower. And, you know, I'm getting a little off track, but my point is that's a lot of the theme that I take into social media as well, which is I'm not going to let that stand anymore. So every so often I will respond, not all the time, but every so often I will highlight the bias and this is what's really showing when you say that comment. And this is why. So I use it as a teaching opportunity. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so powerful. Every time you talk about your experiences and and what you encounter, and maybe, maybe we can actually dig into that for a minute, because I don't think, you know, a regular lay person like me going to the doctor, I don't know what's happening behind the scenes. I don't fully understand the education and the programming, honestly, that goes into the education of a physician. So can you just share with us some of the experiences you had and the observations you've had as a physician or as a patient around obesity bias? What are the challenges in our medical system when it comes to obesity as a disease state? Number one thing that is the most scary that I want to highlight is that everything is blamed on weight a lot of the time, life-saving diagnoses are missed. So this is number one. And even when patients come to me, even though I'm working on potentially weight management with them, if it's not things like insulin resistance, stuff like that, the fact that a lot of the time, any pain they have, anything that's going on, oh, it's because you're overweight. You're short of breath. It's because you're overweight. Well, is it heart failure? Is it a heart attack? Is it a is it a clot? Like what else can be going on? There are so many other things, but everything is always... That And by the way, that's the definition of bias. So it's when you're, when you're anchored in something. And so that comes from medical school. A lot of the time our training teaches us, well, if they're overweight, then this is all the stuff that's going to happen to them. And so people don't look. So that's number one is they're not looking. And then number two, because a lot of this is happening where no matter what you're going in for, like you're going in for a sore throat and they're bringing up your weight, right? So then what ends up happening, number two, People with chronic obesity stop engaging the healthcare system. And by the way, that has been me in the past. So it's like, this is this is one of the reasons. It's funny. I used to think, well, if my weight's not perfect, I can't be out there. No, this actually makes me perfectly suited because I've been on all sides. I get patients that they actually like sometimes the telehealth appointments because they don't need to come into an office and get put on a scale and a comment get made 
or that just the look on someone's face, there are a lot of messaging, not only words that are being said, but also body language and how people either are ignoring them or saying a comment. So there's a lot that goes into it. So number one, things get missed. Number two, they start to internalize it and not engage the healthcare system. And I think that all of that leads to they do not get the treatment that they need and they don't realize that there are effective tools. And again, I come back to like, why did I get on social? Because people didn't understand that we now have effective tools to help treat some of this stuff. We didn't have all this 10, 20 years ago. It's really a new frontier. It's amazing. I think I think your perspective is so sorely needed for people to understand. It's such a blind spot on multiple fronts. You're, in fact, what you're <clears throat> what you're describing, you're, it's reminding me of a story you told me once where you were working in a clinical setting and it was one of these sort of comprehensive approaches where there's like, you know, nutrition involved and movement. And then you're, you know, showing up as the primary care physician and the message to the staff amongst the medical professionals, all these different types of medical professionals together was like, here are the many hoops that obese people need to jump through before they can access you as the physician for your medical care. Okay. I'm, this is why we're talking because I don't even remember all these things. Okay. This clinic drove me nuts because they gate kept the ability of people to be able to see me and they would make them prove even though that I would ever see had failed a million diets and a million things before. And we know that this is the case because it's a chronic condition. So it's it's Groundhog Day. It's again and again, the same things keep happening. They would make them have however many dietitian appointments, prove food logs, prove this, prove that. And many people by that point would drop off. Now, you might say to me, well, that showed that they weren't serious. No, no. What happens is we're not actually helping them medically. We're not giving them a tool potentially that can help them to keep going. Ultimately, one of the things with obesity is that it's a neurohormonal disease. Our brain is literally processing things differently. So your urge and desire for certain processed foods might be extremely high, that reward system. We have medicine that can help with that. And I'm not saying that that's always the case, but they were putting them in through so many things where, of course, they get lost. Of course, they can't get help because we have treatment, but we're not even going to let you see that doctor. And that just drove me absolutely nuts. I remember you actually getting on, um, I think we were Marco Poloing at the time, <laughs> you getting on and doing a polo about what you were experiencing. And you're, you were ju- I mean, just like incensed, incensed that. And you know, what struck me is listening to this. I was, you know, listening to your story and realizing there's this whole vice virtue thing going on. Like, oh, always putting the obese person in this position or shining a light on them such that they need to prove their virtuosity. You need to earn the right. So it becomes this whole story about worthiness rather than like, are you really taking responsibility as a medical team for the results of this person? Because it seems like you're not. If this were cancer, it would be a different conversation. Well, okay. So you know how you bring that up if it's cancer. So let me give you an example. One of the things and me and the other doctor that was there were kept advocating. We were actually fighting against an antiquated system. But one of the things were some of them would be transplant patients. So sometimes you need to get your BMI down under a certain point to qualify to get on the transplant list. You've maybe had all the rest of the workup. We don't have three, four months for you to sit there and to do that crapola before we're going to get you the help that you need. So that was, 
you know, that was another argument of that's the example where if we're going to do the same system for everyone, it's not going to make logical sense because everyone's going to be in a different scenario. Everyone needs different recommendations. So to gatekeep that, you are potentially their life might end over that. It's that serious. So that's a good example to give to just show people how serious this is. Oh my gosh. Well, thank goodness there are physicians like you out there who are advocating for patients and talking to them directly because people need to hear this, which is the reason why I was like, can we do this podcast, please? The podcast that wasn't. <laughs> so, okay. I want to talk about the the clinic that you decided to create. So there, there's a moment where Again, you came up through a system, in your case, it's a little bit different. You have two physician parents who had their own clinics. So that probably helped open your eyes a bit. But generally speaking, it's kind of like with professors, in my experience, physicians are like, oh, here's the track I do. I do these many years of medical school and residency and blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> and then I'm going to work for this other place as an employee in this health system, or maybe I'll become a physician owner, but I'm working in this specific type of clinic setting. And it really buys into the current structures of the business structures that we have with health insurance and so forth. And there was this moment where you decided you wanted to do things differently. So can you talk a bit about what is different about your clinic and why? Yeah. One of the things that I wanted to start to create was an environment where people had much more access to me. So not only longer visits. And when I say longer most, like if you do some of these telehealth companies online, it's maybe a 15 minute visit that you do. And then you never again talk to a doctor. And number one, it was longer talking to me. Number two, that when you wanted to communicate with me, it would come directly to me. I'll give an example. These previous clinics, messages get triaged, meaning it's like three days later that you get it because the nurse will get backed up. That message isn't top priority. So there'll be something side effect related where we've got to figure this out now. Like you're sitting there, maybe you haven't had a bowel movement in a few days or you're so nauseous, you can't keep things down. We don't have time to have a few days delay, right? Maybe it's not a heart attack, but it still matters in your life. I wanted people to have access to me in that way. And then I also wanted access in the sense of you're not having to wait a hundred years to get into me. Although again, that's once you're my patient, let me put it that way. Cause I'm sure coming up soon here, I'm going to, I'm going to have a wait list, but when you're my patient that you can book a week or two out, that there's availability, that it works for you, that I can make an exception. Maybe you need a time that's not normally done. And I don't have so many patients where I've, we've talked about this in my last system. I had over 3000 patients. That was the panel that I was managing. And they set a lot of those parameters and you don't have time to follow up with people, to have flexibility in your schedule, to add people on, to have space for people to get in. I mean, I do you know how much I love the fact that patients can get in with me next week, two weeks, three weeks? We have, we've got room. We can accommodate things. That was what I dreamt of. You can get access to me. I'm giving you really good care. I can look things up for you. It's just the attention to detail is really increased. The other thing was that even though I'm quote unquote outside of the normal healthcare system, honestly, I feel my coordination is much better than most. <laughs> Let me give you an example. So I had a patient that, well, this is actually a lot of them, if they're on blood pressure medications, a lot of the time when you start to lose weight, you're likely you're not going to need as much blood pressure medicine. So we'll slowly start to down titrate that, if not even remove it. Well, a lot of them might have a cardiologist. And I always make sure to involve all parts of their team. My communication is really easy to understand. I will get on the phone if I need to. I could never do all these things before. 
And so that's the like logistical aspect of what I wanted to provide. As far as sort of a setup for patients, I wanted there also to be price transparency where it wasn't like a surprise bill is going to come and you have no idea what it is, right? Like if you guys ever got labs done and suddenly you get the $500 bill and you're like, what is this? And you thought it was covered. So what I decided is, look, what is the lowest that I could make this available where they can get all this stuff with me, where they can meet with the dietitian monthly, communicate between, where I can make sure to have a video course? Because I think we're going to talk about this, but I've done a lot on the like behavioral side as well so that people know how to manage urges and cravings. And, and I wanted to do a group call where they could ask, again, increased access, like ask me questions. I'm going to teach you things. And it's going to be really condensed so that you're not going to spend 10 hours on TikTok having to waste your time with garbage coming in. I really sat down and thought, how can I deliver this? And that's where the the clinic came from as far as how often they see me. Can I customize it? How can they communicate with me? It came out of me thinking of what they need. And I'm always evolving it, by the way. Like I'm sure right now it's different than what it might be in a year or two. But this right now has been really working for patients. It's amazing. I mean, what you're describing to me from like a business perspective is making it customer centric or patient centric yeah. in yeah. this case. And and that's invaluable. And when you when one works in a more traditional, let's call it conventional clinic setting, it's not patient centered. I mean, they talk about it, but no, it's it revenue centered. Really, it's all revenue. Exactly. And, and I'm like, let's just go here because we're we're having the conversation. Let's say the things that haven't been said, okay? So I remember when this old organization that I worked at, they had reports as far as what you brought in as a primary care provider, what the consults brought in, like downstream, what happened due to you. So they knew, quote unquote, what you were worth. And they never stopped telling us, well, as primary care, you don't bring in very much. The surgeon brings in X, Y, Z, but you don't bring in anything. And they never saw the value that the primary care doctor is the one that's coordinating everything. They're making the diagnoses. That's the make or break hinge, but they never respected it. It was a revenue number. So the visit minutes got less, the productivity went up. Even when uh, Medicare decided to reimburse higher, they decreased the reimbursement for the physician. And so I can go on and on, but it's never based on what's best for the patient. It's how can we up what that clinic is bringing in? That's all it is. It's a business transaction. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you go the, to see a physician, cause you're not feeling well, it's really hard to realize that you're a cog in that wheel, <laughs> you know, you're a number in their chair and, and you can feel it. There's some clinics. I, I, my personal physician has his own clinic and several PAs who work with him in collaboration and they're small. And I love them because he actually designed his own insurance where, cause they were a lot of folks who couldn't afford it in this area. And he was like, you know, he experimented. I don't know what happened to it, but I, there was a period of time where he was like, for a hundred bucks a month, you can get unlimited access to me and my team. Yeah. So based on that, Matea, what my primary care physician has done, I think you've done something similar in your clinical setting, just a different version of it. And my understanding is it's called direct care, something like yes. that. Yeah, exactly. So this is this is the field it's called for them it was direct primary care so DPC, but this is a version of care direct care is where you're not dealing with insurance, you're directly dealing with the physician or whoever the healthcare provider is, however they have it set up. And what ends up happening is it's actually massively cost saving to the patient, the care quality goes up, the access to care goes up, so everyone is benefiting from it. Amazing. Yeah. There, there's something about um, 
the experience as a patient. It's as a patient, I, I have been, we, we did a different podcast episode, which I don't know if it's going to come out before or after this, but I talk about my own health journey and I don't remember if I say it in there, but I know you and I talked about it on the side when it was happening to me at the time where I decided I was going to commit several thousands of dollars to figure out this problem because my life had shrunk to this point where I couldn't exercise. Making my bed was exhausting me. It was like, I'd had no quality of life anymore. And I was just like, I am going to figure this out. And I decided that if I went down the route, sort of traditional problem solving route, I would be going from one clinic option to another, pulmonologist, cardiologist, et cetera. And I would just be getting ping-ponged back and forth while they try to figure out and point at the other person, well, you should probably go back to cardiology now and get a, no, this scan or whatever. I got so many tests, but here's the point. I worked with the system, but I also made a commitment that I was going to spend whatever money I needed to, to fix this problem. And there was a part of me that was like, I don't want to spend this much money. And the other part of me is like, what choice do I have? What right. this is not living. This is no, I do not accept living this way anymore. And I think for those patients who are in that place, this direct care model is a godsend. Yeah. This and this is what it is, by the way, right? Like it's it's I can't live this way anymore. I need to figure out a different way. People see it as not conventional, but at the same time, once they experience it, they're like, oh, I'm not going back. You can't go back because you see the gaps in the system. It's not designed to be comprehensive. It's not designed to to stitch together all the information in such a way that you can really do diagnosis is like, it's not this, it's not that, it's not that. But to get that when you have a complex issue, it's so difficult. And people with obesity, I mean, you're dealing with this at a very holistic level. And I think that's something that's so unique about what you offer. That's what I wanted to say is weight is a very interesting thing because it's usually not a knowledge problem on people's part. So usually I don't have people coming in. They're like, oh, really? I shouldn't. It's not great to eat like Doritos all day. Like that's not happening. So knowledge is usually not the gap. And it's usually not, uh, when I say a quick fix, it's not like one medicine's going to solve it. And so what ends up happening is there's all these areas where little finesse is needed. That finesse is not happening in a traditional system. They don't have time or no one's going to remember what has or hasn't been tried or frankly has this additional training where they want to do this. It's just like, not, it's not done. Yeah, it's amazing. And I want to bring up this other thing. We alluded to it earlier, but I want to talk about the coaching side of this. I know that you got trained as a coach and you've run a coaching business for a couple of years now. And now that you're transitioning into the clinic, you're, fo- you're, you're sort of focusing more on your clinic and integrating coaching in. Uh, I bring this up because I know one thing you've talked about is how obesity is so multi-layered, like you were saying, and how the body really is designed to protect itself. It has a very, very elaborate protection system. And I remember when you were studying for your boards, you would talk about when you quote unquote solve one area, something else in the body will flare up and yeah. increase to protect you from losing weight. And it's like, oh, this is why it's so difficult. So it ends up being, and you know, part of your conclusion is like, there's actually quite a bit of mind management that needs to go with it too. And we can't be doing that separately. We need to have a comprehensive approach because the body is trying to preserve itself. So can you talk a little bit about the role of coaching and mind management and some of that, how you address some of that dynamic of what the body instinctively wants to do to protect itself. Basically what you're talking about that that I brought up is something called metabolic adaptation. So as you're releasing weight, you would think, oh, this is awesome. Now my body's just so happy at this new place. But your body says, sound the freaking alarm <laughs> because 
Now we need you to get right back to that weight set point. So your body continually has, let's call it evasion techniques, where it's constantly trying to get you to put the weight back on. So if we know that there are things we can do dietary-wise, medication-wise, behavior-wise, size-wise, there's lots of things we can do, but we need to be aware of that. And so again, if people are coming into this with the old school mindset of like one medication fixes it, that's usually not the answer. If we look in obesity medicine, there, there can be kind of like four main pillars, if you would. One of them being nutrition, what you're eating, exercise, kind of how you're moving, behavioral, the ways in which you're thinking and you know your reward system, things like that, and then possibly medications or surgery. When we look at this, the point is as a physician, okay, awesome, I'm great at medications, got that. And then uh, as far as the nutrition aspect, dietitians are super helpful. Again, I've done a lot of additional training myself just because it's a passion point of mine, but but I'm not ever going to sit there and give you the exact protein goals, things like that. I definitely have dietitians help with that. And then when it came to the mindset part, this is what I saw in the clinic. There were always things that trip people up. It's all the self-sabotage. So you're okay for a few weeks, a month or two, and then something happens in life and you just abort. Well, how can we actually increase your chance of making it to the next step. It's working on your mindset. Instead of mindset, we can say cognitive behavioral tools. We can say thought work. There's a million ways to describe it, a million ways in which you can go about it. If there's something that's relating to really big trauma events, I'm always going to make sure that like a therapist is involved. But a lot of the time, the reason I love using coaching in my practice is that People just need to be empowered, right? What if it's not a problem that this is something that you struggle with and that you're figuring out? What's the easiest way you could do it? It's the moving forward in a really energetic way that people have never been taught before because ultimately the diagnosis of obesity, there's a big mental load, like this heaviness that comes with it in a mental capacity because for so long we've been kind of oppressed with this. And so I work on that aspect so that you really long-term, you're like, I feel like a different person because the weight going down never changes how you feel about yourself. If you don't do those other things, you still end up feeling bad. Oh my gosh. Yes. Amen. Weight loss doesn't make you happy. (laughs) (laughs) And I can give you an example. Like I just met with someone earlier today. This patient has lost over 20% total body weight loss, like just is doing phenomenal. Still sitting there saying comments like, well, but I'm not at the weight before when I lost weight where I was down before. It's this compare and despair. And these seem like little comments. And this person's actually overall in a great spot. But I like to call those things out and be like, can we not do that anymore? Because here's what it's creating for you when you do that. And sometimes people seeing that it's really a breakthrough for them. Yeah. I think what you're pointing out to too is that there's external and internal components to to weight loss. There's the external, like the mirror, the scale, the clothes, the comments from other people. And then there's your internal experience where even if you lose weight and all those external things like quote unquote look better or you know, are more whatever aligned with your goals, if your internal experience isn't that software isn't updated, you're still miserable and it feels terrible. Right. And it's heartbreaking because there's all this work that you've got that's been you put into it and you're not enjoying, you know, the fruit of your labor. I think it's amazing that you have incorporated coaching. And how do you how do you I think you have a is it a monthly call? Walk me through like what a patient a weekly call. Oh my gosh, even better. Yeah. So walk me through if I was a, a patient signing up, what's the experience? 
just logistically people, you know, right now I'm doing a meet and greet because this is not the right fit, this clinic for everyone. So it's a really quick call where I'm just seeing what what's going on for you. And we see if it's even the right fit, because I have told some people on those calls, I can just hear where they're at. And I'll give you an example. Like if you're someone that's wanting a specific meal plan to be handed to you and you follow it perfectly, not going to be my clinic because I'm going to work on empowering you how to start to learn to do this on your own. We're going to give you guidance. We're going to help you with how to regulate your hunger hormones. But if you're wanting, this is the exact meal plan, not going to be the right program for you. People meet with me, meet and greet. If once they're ready, either they tell me then or they can email back if they're thinking about it. And then we send them the registration. The first step with joining the clinic is always meeting with me. And then afterward, they meet with the dietitian. This is all done in quick succession. And then we start to really customize what are we working on? And what I like to do, this is actually one of my values, is I want to provide really high-level care to people without them having to spend all day on it. So I want to be able to set realistic goals you can actually go do, maybe point you to a specific place within the video course that I have, because some start from the beginning and go all the way through, but some people don't, they don't want to do that. I mean, it's it's really, you know, how much you're needing it or, or how much it resonates with you. But there's usually some type of a first step that I can see for you, whether it's we do medication or some nutritional aspects. So we're really customizing it. And then the weekly calls are there as a place that if you have questions, we can answer them, right? I mean, and obviously you can always message me anytime, but it's a time to really work through mindset blocks. One of the things like we did, we've talked about emotional versus physical hunger, kind of what to do in different scenarios. We talked about how to break the stress cycle because a lot of that stress from the day, if we never empty the bucket, we never kind of fully process that, we turn to food to feel better. So we go through a lot of those techniques. I also talk about sometimes different studies or different cool things that are coming out. And I just think it's a good way to hopefully get some good information without, I always say without having to scroll for 10 hours, because you'll find some good information, but you don't know what's real and not. You don't know what's what's true or not. It's There's a lot of misinformation out there. And so I, I kind of try to bring that together. And if people can't come to the live calls, there's replays. It really fits into, it's sort of like you take what you need and you leave the rest, but at least it's available to you. So you can kind of customize it. That's amazing. It's so empowering, the, the approach you have. I mean, even not giving them a specific meal plan and being like, no, this is the time where you're going to learn how to become the person who trusts that she can pick her own meal plan or he. (laughs) It's always shocking because I think people don't realize how disempowered they've become, that they actually do know some hunger signaling or what's what feels good in their body or not. And they've just come so far away from that because they always think that someone else has all the answers And I'm here to figure that out with you. In fact, you said this line, this is in the podcast that's coming out. Again, don't know if it's before or after, but you said about physicians or your healthcare team, you're either going to co-create this with me or you're out. And that's the type of patient that I like to work with. You're laughing, but that's why I like to work with. It's like, bring me problems. I'm going to tell you what I see. You tell me what you see. Like, we're going to keep figuring this out. That's ultimately who really has great success. I love that. I mean, that I have tingles every time you talk about it. I mean, listen, what you've been doing, and this is why I was so excited about, about doing this podcast today, is it's a revolution. It's patient-centric care at a particular, particularly challenging and painful part of our that our medical community is trying to serve this population that's really in a lot of pain. And, and there are a lot of different hurdles. There's the bias side of things. 
There's the the way the structure is set up. And you're out there like this beacon of hope. I get emotional talking about it. And I'm not even like one of your target patients, but I just see how much heart you put into this and thought and care into your patients, into what you're communicating, going out on TikTok or Instagram or other social media channels and just pouring out, sharing, dropping the knowledge, but also pouring out your heart about what frustrates you and how you know that this can be different. People can have different lives. You've seen it. You've helped facilitate it. You want to scale it and do it in a way where it doesn't cause more harm and it doesn't contribute to a system that continues to enable more bias and more patchwork healthcare, but that's a, it's a holistic approach. It's just, it's amazing to watch. And I'm just so grateful that there are people like you out there doing this work. Thank you. When you say, and that's what it is, it's that there are so many things that are standing in the way between my patients getting care from seeing me. I mean, one of the things that, you know, it's not only the bias, but it's also are the medications covered or not? And that's something I work with, you know, okay, let's do generics. And a lot of other physicians will say, well, that name brand, the first one wasn't covered, but we actually have other options that we can use. And so all of that, and also like setting the expectations, like what could we reasonably expect? And because I know in the past before, like years ago, before I had this training, I'd be like, oh, the medicine didn't work. And I didn't realize, no, they lost the 5% weight loss that we could expect, <laughs> but we didn't know to tell them it was only 5%. It's a challenge, but I, I want to welcome other medical people as well that hopefully get into this arena that can provide care in a different way. I, I think it is really rewarding. I know it might be scary to go do it, but I think it really helps patients. And I think that the care really goes up. And that's the main thing that I care about. So I'm hearing you invite other physicians to join you in your revolution. And it sounds like they can either become obesity board certified like you and directly serve patients across the country in a similar format, you know, clinic setting or their own, whatever, or they could become referral partners. So how do you think that would play out? I mean, how do you see yourself partnering with other primary care physicians? What is that relationship? Oh, so this is interesting. We've never talked about this. So it's not, I want people to hear, it's not in the sense that like I'm making money from other people. That's not what's happening. But what I will tell you is this, when I know that, because I, I'm only, I can only serve a few people, very little what one physician can handle. And so I am asked all the time about other states. So when I know there's another great doctor in that state, I will link them in the comments when people are asking. I try to do that all the time. Of course, I don't know all the states, right? You would think, Amanda, that there's a directory on this, right? You'd think that it was really loud. It's not. No, no, because literally the 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 abom.org, that's the American Board of Obesity Medicine, it just shows that you're certified but it doesn't have links to websites or anything. So, okay, now you have to go find the people. Then there's another great site I like. I can't even get myself listed on it. I'm like, I've tried this multiple times. So here's the challenge is there's no main directory, but I really like to get to know other physicians in other states that are doing similar things so that if people ask me for that state, people email me all the time. I mean, I'm just kind of out there in that sense. And I, I like to try to connect. I can't make any guarantees. I haven't worked with that doctor, but I try as best I can to connect people where I can because everyone can't work with me. We know that that's true. Yeah. Well, that seems to follow your empowerment philosophy of like, I will bring you re the resources that I know of. And it's up to you to discern and make the decision of like, whether you want to work with that person or not, if it's a good fit, right? That yeah. makes sense to me. And that's, that's a big thing too, is like, even if they have the training, 
everyone has a different philosophy in this area. And I say that that's actually a good thing. Some people are, oh, they don't like that. But then it means you can find someone where like your heart will sing when you see them. Like it's just so magical when you talk to them. That's really hopefully how it feels for people that we call it a therapeutic relationship, right? Like where you want to share with them and they want to share with you. That is something that really works. My mom said a good thing to me recently. She said, you know, not every patient will be for you. And what I've realized is the right people find you, you stick around and work with the right people. And those that are not, no problem. I want them to find who really works for them. That's always my greatest desire for every patient. Amazing. Before we wrap up, I have two questions for you. The first one, is there is there anything that I didn't ask that you wish I had asked? This is the last thing I want to say is just have compassion for the people that you're seeing in the health, in the, in the insurance system, because they are really trying those doctors. They're not trying to not have big eye contact with you when you come in. They're not trying to sit there charting the whole time or answer your message in a few days. They really care about you. They're just doing the best they can in that system. I think that's a powerful reminder. Everyone's doing the best they can. Yeah. Okay. Last question. I think, you know, as taking in everything we talked about and all these different topics, I'm curious, what does self-care look like to you? Oh, that's a really good question. I think self-care is going beyond the superficial things and actually figuring out what your needs are. And so this is actually something that I dig into with patients because a lot of the time food is being used as a tool to relax at the end of the day, to soothe themselves, to feel better, different scenarios. And I think self-care can look like getting really honest what you're needing at this stage in life. So I'm always going to use myself as an example because I don't outpatient stories. For me, I have a young kid that's almost four, a little toddler, and I need a lot of help as a mom. I'm a busy professional. I love to take care of my son, but I need enough childcare. This is actually something that has been hard to seek out, making sure that his needs are met, my needs are met, but that's just as important as the food I'm eating. Those things matter too. When I say a holistic approach, it's not ever just about the food. If you hear nothing else today, please realize it's much more than that. And usually self-care is about, are you having enough fun? Are you relaxing? What other things do we need to get to happen for you to feel okay? Incredible. I think we end with that. Thank you so much, Dr. Matea Rentia, (laughs) for sharing with us on the podcast that wasn't (laughs) our flipped script podcast. (laughs) And I hope for for all the listeners that this was as as enlightening for them as it was for me. I think you drop the knowledge bombs all the time. And it's so inspirational to work with you and to be your friend. And I'm so excited to see what's next for you. Thank you so much, Amanda.